your positive, positive, positive imprint. Stories are everywhere. People and their positive action inspire positive achievements. Your PI could mean the world to you. Get ready for your positive imprint. Hello, this is Catherine, your host of Your Positive Imprint, the variety show featuring global conversations with people whose positive achievements are inspiring positive actions. My mission is to share stories, but also to help you to identify and act upon your own positive imprint. What's your PI? Today's guests are all about water, fire, and breath. But first, here's more information about the podcast. This podcast is free. Please remember to leave positive reviews. Send me an email to ask me how if you don't know. I am happy to help you. Thanks for asking for updates regarding past guests. Well, past guest dancer Kathy Fishback Anthony has a granddaughter starring in the new movie High Strung Free Dance. Her granddaughter Juliet Dougherty stars with Jane Seymour, Thomas Dougherty, and others. The movie is a romantic dance musical. Well, Miss Kathy has much to be proud of with her own years of positive accomplishments within her family and her community of dance. Laura P. sent in this comment. A delightful interview with Kathy and Michael Anthony, two wonderful people. When I first met Miss Kathy, I kept trying to place her. One day, while watching her teach my daughter's class, she smiled and struck some pose, and pow! I realized I knew her from the Carol Burnett Show and the Dean Martin Show in my teenage years. That memory still makes me smile. Congratulations, Miss Kathy, for an exemplary life. And thank you, Maria S., for your comment regarding this podcast. I really enjoy these episodes. Each story is very different, but each of the individuals interviewed are amazing. From Alaska through Africa and Tasmania, Norway, great stuff. Your positive imprint is an important contribution because it is, as Catherine says, positive. Well, thank you, Maria. And thank you, listeners, for supporting your positive imprint. What's your PI? And now my featured guests. Water. Fire. Breath. David Royce and Michael Boyd were mesmerized with the authentic and romantic art of glassblowing from an early age. It is the water, fire, and breath of the glassblower that drew them in. A pot where molten melted glass awaited the artisan to transform it into a breathtaking piece of art. The two share their stories of what it means to be a glassblower and what it means to be sustainable in a world where lowering the carbon footprint is crucial. This is such a, a larger scale of modern sustainable lighting that is taking place here in Minnesota, United States, by Michael Boyd and David Royce. They are co-owners of what is called Bicycle Glass. David, Michael, hello. Hello. Good, hello. good to speak with you. Hi. Yeah. So before we get started, I know that you are in the lighting business and in glass blowing, and both of you have had this artisan past. I'm excited to have you, and I'm sure the listeners are wondering what this is going to be about. Tell me your background. One of you, you know, I know you both are sitting there. So why don't we start with David? What or both of you just chime on in? But let's hear about you know a little bit about yourselves. Well, this is Michael talking, but when I was, uh, you know, about nine years old, I went to a place called Greenfield Village in uh, near Detroit, Michigan. And uh, they had, you know, a blacksmith and a candle maker, and they actually had a silk weaver, which is interesting. Uh, but they had a glass blower, and I was transfixed by it, watching the, the molten glass. And my parents noticed that and uh, 
so when I turned 14, they enrolled me in a class, which was wow. a very fortunate thing for me. And uh, so I've been doing it ever since. I've been uh, learning how to work glass and, and blow glass uh, ever since. And then David has a similar uh, sort of story at, at this similar age. Which, yeah. Well, Michael, let me ask you a question. Oh. Mm-hmm. So when you were watching the glass blowing, was it the same type of experience I had where I was watching the fellow do animals or were you watching at a larger scale? So, okay, yeah, so that, now sometimes the animals, when you make little animals, it's over like a torch, like a little a flame. Oh, there's a deceit. They call that flame working. Whereas like uh, uh, what I call offhand glass blowing is, uh, yeah, like you said, a little larger scale. Um, you have a four foot long pipe and you gather it up. And, you, and uh, so the, the gather on the end of the blowpipe, which is the molten glass, is, uh, you know, anywhere from uh, a baseball size to, uh, uh, well, a basketball size. Um, and then you can, you know, make pieces from there. And so that's how we make our, our lights. That's how we make our glass shades is, is by gathering glass up and blowing it. Oh, so we're going to have to get even a, a more detailed explanation once we hear from David. This is, uh, so see, I, I'm learning this too, because I just thought glass blowing was just a larger scale of, of heat, uh, of torch, but it's quite different. And I'm anxious to hear about it. Mm-hmm. Th- that's awesome. Okay. So, and then David, yeah. Yeah, so I have a, I have a fairly similar story. I saw it first at the Renaissance Festival, which is um, everybody dresses up in costume and they, um, they had a glass blower and, you know, very, very similar. I must've seen it when I was five and then, um, you know, transfixed by it. And I thought, you know, I should probably do that one day. And um, when I was 15, the opportunity presented itself to me and uh we were visiting a kind of an arts building and i knew there were glass blowers upstairs and i, I walked upstairs and i said how old do you have to be to be an apprentice and they said well <laughs> you know you gotta be 18 how old are you and i said well i'm i'm 15 and they said that's okay just come back tomorrow and um you know it's hard to turn down free help and so that's how i got started and i just i just kept at it and it was you know just like uh, anybody who's had that experience of something that's uh, very, it's, it's, you know, very um, transfixing. There's the elements of fire and water and breath, and it's very easy to sort of get uh, caught up in its seductive nature. So, um, so that's, that's how I started. Mm-hmm. Oh, I really love the eloquence of your descriptions regarding the, what you were transfixed on. From such in my case, I really was. I mean, I stayed there, you know, the rest of the family went off and saw all the other stuff, and they just left me there all day. And I just watched them make <laughs> mug over and over and over again. So, yeah, I was stuck. I think that is so awesome that there is such inspiration in what you are doing, and not just because there's sustainability that we're going to be talking about, but the fact that you continued to think about both of you, what it is that you saw that really resonated for whatever reason within yourselves. And that's what you've been doing your whole adult life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really, it's really something. I, I don't know if a lot of people in the world have that kind of experience where they, they uh, get, you know, just sort of caught by something so much that uh, it just, it carries them through, you know, it's, it's an issue. I feel very fortunate about it. It's for sure. Yeah. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. 
it's really interesting, and I think too that uh, you know this world is you know many things are digital now. Obviously, you know that just is such a cliche cliche to even say that. But even still today, you know Michael and I have fifty plus years of combined experience blowing glass, and um, even when I sit down at the bench today, there's still tons for me to analyze and learn. Even as I make the same thing over and over and over again, there's it's um, you know there's a certain uh, freshness like if you bring you know if you bring a good attention to what you're doing there's always room for improvement there's always room for um, learning more about the material so yeah I it's still fascinating to me years and years later it's kind of awesome I like I would echo Michael's sentiment that I feel very uh, very fortunate to have found something that's that's like that my, my dad always used to say there's so many people in the world that don't know what to do you know and that's true. You know, it's yeah, and so it's it's a it's a it's a really good thing to to figure that out. And it is. And my show, Your Positive Imprint, I've received emails from people around the world who have said, "Oh my gosh, after listening to your show, I think I have identified my own positive imprint, and I'm going to go for it." Yeah. And so it's it's nice that people like you and my other guests are sharing your positive imprints and how you got there. And some struggled and some didn't some knew right away like yourselves that this is what you want to do but you didn't know right away that you wanted to get into such a sustainable well that that's and i'm just thinking about that as we're talking it it occurred so uh let's see i i worked for a bunch of different glass blowers uh all through the upper midwest and then i started my own studio with my brother we did that for a number of years doing art shows I moved back to the Twin Cities to be with my fiance, which was sort of important. And (laughs) I started a studio and I had people coming to me saying, hey, can I use your studio uh, when you're not using it? And I just kept saying yes. Um, Before I knew it, I had to rent a bigger space. And in order to pay for the space, I had to teach classes. So I basically started a glassblowing school. Eventually, we turned that school into a nonprofit. And when we wrote the mission for that nonprofit, I put in there at the end of the mission was uh, uh, to do it in as environmentally responsible way as possible. And I remember very distinctly having that first meeting and talking about that. And sort of over time, that, that part of the mission fell off because it was so hard to do with this craft. It takes so much energy to melt glass. But in the back of my mind, it was always there, you know, and I was like, I got to figure out how to get back to that because it, it is, it's, it's a, a very burdensome craft as far as a, a carbon footprint is concerned. So it's a real joy to have uh, partnered with David and uh, get to the point where we can try to do this, you know? Yeah, definitely. I would not, it's not we my, you know, when, when we used to do this, you know, I used to do, and Michael, Michael and I both used to do shows and, um, it was not exactly, at least a carbon, you know, from a carbon footprint standpoint, it was definitely not a, uh, a positive imprint type of a business that we were in. And it was, you know, you know, I had gotten myself addicted to glass wine and, um, <laughs> you know, I had a business to support. And then later on, I had uh, children to support and a family to support, you know, so, uh, but it was always obvious that it was not, it wasn't necessarily a good thing that I was doing, certainly for the planet. Yeah, the same. I would say that it's been really fun to actually find some way to make this a little bit, a little bit better. Because I've always felt personally bad about the carbon footprint that I've 
you know, created over the years. We would go to, we would go to art shows, you know, I would drive as far as Florida and you'd have to leave your furnace on because it's more efficient to leave your furnace on. And I would drive all the way across the country and set up a tent and uh, sell my stuff and then drive all the way back across the country to my furnace that had stayed on and then work for three more days and take a plane trip back down to do another shot. I mean, it was mm-hmm. really, it was really kind of a so, hard, very heavily burdensome carbon footprint that I was creating. It, it's, it's an old market style too, you know, like this idea that uh, you load up your cart and go to market, you know, and then you come back to your workshop, you know, it's this very, the, the art show circuit thing is a very old style. You know, I love the romanticism that mm-hmm. comes with the blacksmiths and the glass blowers, but what you're saying never crossed my mind until I started looking at your website and I was thinking, oh my gosh, all these years, my romanticism of this type of work is like you said, the carbon footprint is kind of a large one, but you have found ways (laughs) to go about that, not to go about it, but to actually get right down to it and lower your carbon footprint. And I think that is so amazing. And that's what actually how I found you was my mother found you and said, wow, they are really working towards this sustainability in their glass blowers. And as romantic of, and you know what I mean when I'm talking about the romanticism. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's a, it, it's pretty incredible. It's like a so thing to watch, you know. So, yeah, and, and it's a and it's a fun and it's, it really is a fun lifestyle. To, like I don't mean to disparage it at all because that's how I made my living, and I have friends that still make their living that way. And it really is a absolutely a romantic way to sort of make your make your living, and it's like extraordinarily authentic. And you know the people, you know the people that you connect with that actually you know buy your stuff at an art fair. You know, that was, you know, that's, you know, there, there was times where that was fairly rare and difficult to, to achieve, um, you know, just to make a living. And, uh, it, it was really kind of a, there's I, tons of stories, but there's lots of, there's a very big romantic part of that. That's and, really you know, cool. I, I always thought too, when we entered down the sustainability path, which, you know, it was like, well, geez, if, if glass blowers can figure out how to make their carbon footprint better, anybody can make their carbon footprint better. You know, I mean... <laughs> This is like the hardest thing to do, you know. Um, you know, I could imagine maybe some others, but uh, we're up there at the top. Yeah, so it's a continual path trying to trying to figure that out. So, well, I I really commend you both for for this that you are taking on. So let's talk about that path that you've taken and how you are actually doing it. Mm-hmm. So how are you achieving this? Sure. So, you know, uh, the, the, the biggest thing that we started with, uh, we started with it, and it's also the biggest thing, is uh, we use recycled glass. And it's post-consumer recycled glass that comes from the, the recycling facility. So, it, 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 you know, a person is at home here in our community and in the Twin Cities. They put a couple of glass bottles in the, in the bin. The truck picks it up. And it goes to a sorting facility and we go to that sorting facility and pick it up. So, you know, just right off the bat, the amount of transportation footprint is as small as it could probably be. And so uh, the other thing is, is that when you melt glass that's already been melted, it, it takes a lot less energy to get it molten. 
And uh, I don't have my statistics here handy, but uh, it's it's you know upwards of 20, 30 percent. I'm 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 remembering that it takes a, you know a lot less energy to melt just right off the bat. And it's, it's easier on your equipment too, because when you melt glass from a batch formula, you have to add these, these fluxes in there that help the glass melt, the, the, the sand melt at a lower temperature. And those fluxes also degrade your furnace really badly. They like melt the surface of your, your crucible that you're melting it in. So it's, it's easier on the equipment. It's easier on the, how much natural gas it takes to actually uh, melt the glass. And I should say that's how we melt the glass is with natural gas. We used to have an electric furnace, but uh, uh, it was uh, easier to, to go all natural gas with it. Uh, so that's the first way. We start to get into you know, things of uh, making our equipment more efficient, which we're in the process of doing. And uh, yeah, that's, that's uh, the, the biggest and, and uh, way that we've... Uh, work towards sustainability so and i would say too we do um uh so all of our packaging is 100 percent uh recycled and recyclable so there's no packing peanuts there's none of that uh, we recycle the buildings uh, the buildings we, we literally go out to the to the recycling dumpster and pull the other company's boxes back out of, and then we run it through this machine that kind of crimps it a little bit so we can use that as our packing material and we yeah so this is sort of a waste not want not type of a type exactly of yeah. so we're always looking for ways that we can um lower that carbon footprint so and then additionally i would say too like the way the way we used to do it so the batch that michael was talking about it's it's amazing to think about its carbon footprint and i think i, I can sum it up pretty succinctly and say that many of the raw constituents of the glass are are actually quarried in the midwest and they're shipped off to the east coast where they're blended so they're, you know they're trucked out to the to the east coast blended at a facility that makes it into a very specific coefficient of expansion that works with color bar so all the colored <laughs> glass that you get is imported from germany and new zealand and yeah. so so then that that batch glass is then shipped back across the country again to california where it's held at a distribution center and then we pick up the phone and buy a ton at a time and say hey i need another ton and it ships back all the way back to minnesota where the original constituents are from then we put it in our furnace and we lose about 20% by weight every time we melt it. So. it the, the, the actual constituents of the glass turn into CO2 and disappear, which so, is uh, sort so of an yeah. interesting thing. So, yeah, so that, that's uh, in contrast to what we're doing, which is taking glass that's already been melted, and you just melt it. You don't None of it turns into a gas. Uh, uh, it takes less energy. Um, it's, the, other, the old model is really... Um, it's kind of amazing when you think about it. I, I remember hearing a statistic recently that um, global shipping, this is mostly over water, had the carbon footprint as large as the sixth largest, largest nation on earth. Uh, just global shipping, you know. So that, that's just a huge thing that we got to figure out. We got to use the things that are around us. Like going out to the cardboard dumpster, you know. So Those are really good points. Absolutely good points because, again, you're putting... You're, you're taking your own positive achievements and you're allowing us to try to become a little bit more active with our own actions and become more positive and intentional. The shipping is the last thing that I've really been thinking about. There are things that you're saying that truly are 
something that is definitely resonating in me as far as the footprint and the sustainability. And you're future thinkers. This is fabulous. And you're so young. That's awesome too, because you're going to be around a while. And so your carbon footprint is going to continue to make this difference Mm -hmm. in not just Minnesota, but it's going to spread. So why bicycle glass? Well, we were looking for a name and we were like, okay, recycle, right? And so bicycle, it's like, it's a, it's a partnership between the consumer who's putting bottles in their bin and us. So it's a two cycle, you know, so that was kind of the general idea. But then on top of that, it's, you know, bicycles are human powered. And that's what we are at Bicycle Glass because we have, you know, hand glass blowers. Um, You know, we support, uh, geez, I'd have to count them, but, you know, upwards of uh, 15 to 20 glass blowers that, you know, so that's human powered. You know, it's not uh, uh, anything but. And so uh, there's that aspect. And plus... Everybody loves bicycles. That's, I, you know, I, when you think of uh, first learning to ride a bike, it's just a, it's a feeling of, uh, of freedom, you know. And uh, I remember reading one quote that when bicycles were first invented, uh, they said that, you know, there was a one person that said somewhere uh, that it's the closest thing to flying. And so, you know, it's just it, it, ha- it has a good connotation, uh, that human-powered bicycle. So, yeah. I love that you thought about this for your name. I absolutely love it. And I love the human powered. There's something absolutely fantastic in just thinking about that with your glass blowing. Mm -hmm. Can you talk us through the process of the actual glass blowing? Well, uh, let's see. Like, Like one of your sconces or something like take an item that you make and how is... What is the process? Sure. So, you know, uh, there's there's what I call true offhand glass blowing, which means you, you actually shape it. You know, you get the glass on the end of the blowpipe and you sit down at a bench and you roll it on the bench and you you shape the glass, uh, sometimes almost with your hand with a, a pad of wet newspaper between it, almost like a potter would, right? Well, you know, we realized pretty quickly that we weren't going to be able to. So this is kind of where the business part of it comes in. We weren't going to be able to get any good sort of uh, price point where we could open up a market, you know, get into a real uh, volume without changing our process. So before, when we did the art show circuit, we were making vases and sculptures and things. Everything was totally hand-shaped and uh, every piece had a little unique quality to it, right? One was a little bigger, one was a little smaller, one was a little fatter. We realized we needed to kind of step up the evolutionary glass blowing ladder a little bit and start using molds. So we, we made molds and that way we can standardize the pieces. So they all fit the hardware just right. And you have three of them hanging in your kitchen and they all look the same, you know, cause people kind of want that. And that would be a way that we could start to get a little better price point because it's a little faster to blow it into a mold. There's still and plenty so, of uh, skill that's involved in blowing it into a mold. And a lot of skill. Which is which is sort of contrary. To, you know, people will think, "Oh man, it's blown into a mold. It must be just like that. Must be so easy." And it's actually kind of it's just different. It's um, there's still plenty of skill that's involved, and there's plenty of pieces that um, we internally recycle that are uh, a testament to the fact of how difficult yeah. that is. Yeah. But in any case, uh, yeah, they all get blown into molds, and then as we, you know, they go through the process of uh, grinding and cold working and drilling. And, 
And then after that, they, um, they all get sort of matched to each other. So when somebody orders a set of three, we might make, you know, 10, 15 pieces or something. And then we will, we'll look at them and we'll say, okay, these three match each other and these two can go together and this one can go alone. And these six will be for this order. So we're constantly sort of like, there's still in lots of individual variation, even though they're, you know, even though they're blown into molds and they're, they're more uniform, there's still variation that um, makes each piece a little bit unique and a little bit special, you know, but we're constantly trying to find ones that sort of make good groupings and families. So as they go to people's homes, you know, there's, there's care in every step of the process that's being, you know, which pieces are chosen, which pieces are put together, which pieces are grouped, et cetera. So, mm-hmm. yeah. What is the temperature <laughs> that, that you're working with? Well, uh, it's uh, about 2,100 degrees, so 2,100 uh, Fahrenheit, and uh, that's that's the temperature that we work at, and that's that's when the glass is glowing, you know, red hot. Red, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, and it flows about the consistency uh, somewhere between molasses and honey. Yeah, it's just incredible to me that we can that we have this craft uh, at all. Because those are, you know, those are pretty high temperatures. And even me as a little girl, when I would watch the fellow with the small torch, I mean, you're looking at a lot of heat and to melt that glass and to make the little puppy dog or the giraffe or whatever it might've been. So, and and it's, it's exciting to watch. I can't imagine what it's like in your, in your industrial uh, glass making shop. I think for people that are like, just, you know, just starting it just to like, describe it a little better um you know the first you know the first time you step up to a furnace the heat is unlike anything that you've ever experienced before and you watch glass blowers that have done it for years and years and they they know they know what it's like and so they know not to be bothered by it but you're staring at something that's uh that's as hot as anything you've ever experienced and it's uh, you know the first time i didn't even complete my first gather it was just it was so hot you know, but as you get used to it, you know, you're, um, uh, it's, you know, you, again, you're just, you kind of normalize to it. It gets normalized yeah. and you work with all this extraordinary, extraordinary heat and smoke and breath and fire. And it's a, it's a pretty exciting and visceral process for how these things get made. And, you know, the glass is literally a puddle of molten, molten glass and it gets drawn up onto stainless steel pipes. And then it gets with your own breath and heat and newspaper and shaping it gets blown into its form and then with water you knock the piece off and it cools down from there so um so yeah the whole process is this like incredibly visceral process it's it's really it's really exciting and it's why the craft should you know should stay you know even though it is a carbon footprint heavy endeavor there's nothing like it that i've ever found that's quite the same so Mm -hmm. and you mentioned it well david mentioned the fire the water and the breath explain the breath um it seems like you know uh, gosh we would you know people uh will say well gosh you definitely can't inhale um <laughs> you know you'll you'll burn your lungs out and you know you'll die well it's not like that it's you know it's it's like anything if you you know if you're blowing when it's really really hot it's like blowing like the softest blowing uh, you know bubble gum you've ever blown and if you're blowing it when it's too cold it blows like concrete you know like it it won't 
form a bubble at all. So um, it has everything to do with um, having enough heat, and then and then you can blow as soft as a whisper, and you can. Uh, but when it's really cold, you have to really you know really put your lungs into it. So it just it all just it all depends. So and that's, yeah, the whole the whole process is, is is you're constantly adjusting to the glass. You're you're following its lead. This is really interesting. So interesting. So when you make a mistake, like you are supposed to be making it sort of round and it comes out as you're, as you're blowing, it comes out, not the, the shape that you actually wanted. You just dip it back in and start over, right? Well, no, that what we do is we'll get rid of it. We'll put it in a bucket. It'll cool down. It'll crack. It'll break. And then when it's cool, we get to recycle that in-house. So um, if it's a blue uh, glass that we're making, we get to put it in the next blue batch. So it's really cool because almost, I'm not going to say 100% gets recycled because there's some things that just you know go on the floor and we sweep it up and throw it away. But it's got to be 95% of the glass. So so we get to remelt our mistakes. Um Honestly, we pick out the things that people shouldn't be recycling and they're recycling. Oh, yeah. So that's where the 95%. So people throw away a light bulb, for example, that has a little tungsten element, or they throw away their Corel ware that really shouldn't be going in the recycling. A lot of dinner plate shards. Uh, People put dinner plate shards in the recycling. I cannot tell you how many pieces get ruined by people not recycling quite properly, which is funny, you know, but it's... um, it makes this particular style like incredibly, I mean, so I should just say what like this particular, it's not just like you can throw this glass in a furnace and like everything comes out right. Like it's brutal. It's, <laughs> it's awful to work with. It's really challenging. It's a you tough know, glass. Yeah. The stuff that, the stuff that you get that, you know, the reason why people still use the batch glass is because it's way more consistent. It's way easier to use. We, it's not, it's not like we do this cause it's easy. Like, like yeah, we, true. we struggle through this whole process every single time because it's worth it. Like our values of what we decided we're going to do, like necessitate that this is worth it to do, even though it's like challenging and hard to make this work. Good for you both. What, how wonderful this all is, everything that you're doing. And, and I really liked the sconces on your website they're just beautiful and the other fixtures but i i want to go back to something you said because i i think that it's something that we as recyclers don't think about and that is number one my husband is has told me i'm very good at this now but a few years ago he was telling me honey you have to rinse out all of the recycling. They can't use it if it's got a little bit of food particles in it. That's why they say don't recycle the cardboard boxes from the pizza. Mm-hmm. And after talking to Sydney, who is part of this Sea Monkey project in Australia, Sydney was talking about her plastic shredding machine. And she said that when people leave their food in in the recycling, they just recycle it and it gets hard and chunky, it won't go through the machine. Mm. And you mentioned something about people don't know how to recycle their glass, but tell me about that, what you meant about they don't know how to recycle, because I I would like to learn this too. 
What are they doing? What are we doing we, wrong? We don't we don't mind the food particles. Um, yeah, that's fine. I mean, yeah, leave them on. You know, keep it easy for yourself because we're you know they, none of them can find something that you can eat that'll sustain sustain our you know or uh, withstand our furnace temperatures. Yeah, no, you're you're fine. But. So so with plastic, right? They they only get as high as uh, three, four, sometimes five hundred degrees, but those are pretty special plastics. Uh, so, you know, like 350 and that's not enough high, high enough temperature for those food particles to uh, vaporize, down. right. To break down and, and go away. Whereas with the glass, I mean, we're putting in a 2000 degree furnace, all that stuff just disappears. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, dinner plates, uh, definitely not recyclable. Uh, that's, I think that's probably the biggest majority. I, I actually have a collection of these things that I pull out of the glass. Uh, so while we're working the glass, we'll see something in it. And I have a, a pair of scissors and I, I sort of dig in with the scissors and I pluck the thing out and I save them. And at some point I'm going to make like a little uh, display of the different things that I've pulled out of the glass. Oh, but, I understand now. So people are getting rid of their stoneware, stoneware. which is not considered yeah. glass. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I understand. Yeah. Now. A lot of that. Uh, you know, and I, I just recently went to a recycling facility near here. And uh, it was a post-consumer facility, so it was just everything's coming in the, the front part of it. And there was shredded paper everywhere in the process. And I asked him about that, and he said, oh, my God, that's the single hardest thing to get rid of is shredded paper. It just gets broken up and into everything. And so every pile that was, like, you know, sorted by this giant machine, essentially in this building all of it had some shredded paper in it. And then at the end, he handed me a refrigerator magnet and said the six uh, worst things to try to recycle, like don't recycle these. And one, the only two I can remember are uh, extension cords and shredded paper. And at the end of it, we looked at his glass pile that was coming off the machine and he said, and it was full of <laughs> shredded paper. He said, yeah, and that's after we installed a million dollar machine to try to collect the shredded paper. And so it was, uh, that was, that really stuck with me. It's a little off the glass topic, but uh, there are these things that I learn when I go to the recycling facility that um, you don't, you don't hear about, you know? So. And there's some, there's some more interesting stuff there too. Cause like, um, uh, like recently there's been, so like China used to buy all of our recycling and right. they've now, they now have a, a, a program where they really have cracked down on, um, on purchasing our, our recycling. And so, so we have to, you know, in this country in particular, we have to get better at recycling and going to a single sort method. You know, you go to these recycling centers and they have uh, really expensive machinery to, um, to sift and sort it automatically. But, um, but yeah, it's, and it's increased engagement in the recycling in general, which is great but the quality has gone down tremendously. So it's kind of this interesting, um, it's a very interesting sort of a thing, like the, the economy of, of recycling these, these days. And I'm, there are certain communities, none in Minnesota, but I know certain communities around the country where depending on the way they've set up their contracts, some of the recycling is actually just simply going into the trash. And I, I don't know which, which communities they are, but it's, you know, they used to be able to be sold to China now that's not exactly the case anymore unless it's super high quality uh, recycling. So 
Um, there's just, there's a kind of, there's a, there are, there are things happening in the recycling industry around the country that are very interesting right now. And it is, it is. And I, I did not know why, but now I do because they don't tell you why they just say, this is what you need to do. And I think that it would be, I think if the city were to tell the consumers or the recyclers why we're doing things like the, the little, the shredded paper is getting over everything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'll just describe it. It's been really fascinating to go, go to some of these places. Uh, the, the, the latest one I went to with the shredded paper problem, you know, when I was there, they had a jam and it was, it was like everything stopped and they all kind of ran to the jam with like pitchforks <laughs> and they, they kind of dug at this jammed conveyor belt and then they got it going again. And, uh, it's, it is a machine, but it's also got a lot of people involved in it too. This particular facility had actually had a robot too, that was picking out, um, uh, HDPE, uh, with an optical sensor. And it, and it was actually, it had like a suction cup on the end of it. And it was like, you know, as the conveyor would go by, it was plucking and, and dropping it into a bin. And th- that robot was right next to five people doing the same thing. And so it, it was sort of interesting to see that, like it's a continuing, you know, they're continuing to try to automate that process. Uh, yeah. Well, I think my next stop, or at least one of my next stops, should be a visit to our recycling plant. Yeah, I was wondering, <laughs> yep. That's a good, good yeah. thing to learn about. And you, I mean, just to give you a sense, it's not really just one machine. It's sort of this gigantic facility that utilizes multiple machines that are based off of each you know, you think of this like single sort recycling where everything goes in one bin, very easy. But then you have to sort of think about what properties are in each portion of that that's recycled. You know, so for example, like if you have something that's uh, heavy versus something that's light, you can use an air current to sort of blow the light stuff off and then have the heavier stuff fall. Or you can have magnets that pull out things that are magnetic or, you know, so they're using all the different properties of of this stuff in the, in the automation, which I just think is just absolutely fascinating how they've figured out how to take everything and process it. So the recycling facility that does us, I just think is a fascinating statistic. Uh, we heard there was uh, 400 tons per day of glass that they recycle. It might, it might be that high. So I, you know, the, the, the amount that we're recycling is, is a little bit astonishing, like just rich. Mm-hmm. So can I ask you, do you have to pay for the glass or do you just go and, and you get it? We, we, yeah, at first, you know, when we first started, we were just getting like a, a 55 gallon barrel of it, you know, and, uh, the guy, the guy there, he was very nice. Uh, he, he basically said like, well, that's just a little bit, just go ahead and take it. And so it started off that way, but, uh, no, we pay market rate for it now. Yep. So everything that you're doing is so phenomenal and it's so awesome. And I want to visit your, your place. <laughs> Anytime. Yeah. yeah. And, and next time we are up north, I, I would like to do that and, and stop in and see you and see all your wonderful fixtures as well. So what an exciting, exciting craft that you have. It is. Thank you. And I'm still stuck on that fire, water, and breath because it's just <laughs> that's just exciting for me, the whole bit. And so is there anything we didn't touch on that you would like to be sure that we touch on? 
Well, we do, um, uh, you know, we're working on our energy and it's a funny one to work on because uh, it actually takes capital to kind of to fix those problems. But the one thing we do, I have been doing for about a year and a half to two years is we've been uh, offsetting all of our electricity with uh, wind, uh, wind power. Our, our utility company has a, a really good program with uh, some wind turbines in Iowa and uh, southern Minnesota that uh, you can offset all of your electricity with it. And so that's that's one thing we've been doing. Yeah, is there... yeah we're just we're, you know, you know, we're we're trying to go as carbon neutral as possible. That's like a goal that my client sort of set for ourselves. And it's a really it's really hard to do. Like it's, really, <laughs> it's really challenging to try to figure out, like, how are we going to achieve that goal but i think even just the pursuit of it at every step of the way um is really just important because i think for our our customers need to know that we're like that's just something we're trying to do because it's important to us you know it it may not help our bottom line but it's something that's really meaningful to us and i think is meaningful to them so when when a customer purchases purchases something like we are really endeavoring to do better Mm -hmm. that you know and you know, the, the short, sweet elevator pitch is that it should, you know, when we started the business is all of our products should be beautiful, economical and sustainable. So, um, you know, you know, to that end, you know, we're trying to keep prices reasonable for customers so they don't feel like they're getting gouged so that they can access these beautiful pieces of light. And when they access them, they can feel good knowing that they're made sustainably, that workers are paid a fair and good wage and actual, you know, artisans are making a real living doing something that they're extraordinarily passionate about, that they've spent years, you know, perfecting their craft. And now they're getting, they're getting sort of honored by that, honored for that and and paid for that, which is really like, you know, I used to like have a lot of, you know, a lot of joy in creating the own piece, but now like the best thing that I I do is shake somebody's hand when I hire them. Um, That just is super meaningful to me. So um, yeah, I agree. So we're, we're, we're really excited to kind of, you know, build this company that, you know, hopefully is doing good by doing well. And it's not easy to do, but we're, we're super um, committed to what we're doing. So there's one other thing that occurred to me too, which is that if there's any doubt about is, is doing things sustainably good for business. I mean, it, it really is, you know, over the past three years, we've proven it because uh, we don't have to buy a very expensive batch glass anymore. I mean, uh, these are things that people are throwing away and we're trying to use into a product. And so uh, it's, you know, that sometimes you hear that out there that, oh, well, it costs more money to do that. And it, and I really strongly believe it's not true. So I'm so enamored with what you are doing. And I love that you can say that you provide beautiful, economical, and sustainable products for the consumer. Thank you so much, David and Michael, for sharing your positive imprint and all of your achievements. And I wish you the best of luck, and I hope sometime to be able to shake your hand. Come on out and see it whenever you want. Well, thank you. You're very welcome. And to learn more about today's inspiring guests, go over to their website, bicycleglass.com. And thank you so much for listening to Your Positive Imprint. Music by Chris Noll. And next week I will continue my series in technology and farming around the world. 
Well, head over to my website, yourpositiveimprint.com, and sign up for email updates and learn more about the show. Remember, this podcast is free. Please continue to support me with positive reviews and download my episodes by hitting that subscribe or follow button. Your Positive Imprint. What's your P.I.?